Hello, and welcome to the Adoptee Voyages podcast. My name is Erica Lorenz, and I'm excited you are joining me for season three titled You, Me, and Family. Each Wednesday, various transracial adoptees share their experiences on how relationships within the family unit impact their identity. Along with hearing those stories, Throughout this season, I have the honor to dive deeper on family-related topics with my friend, Amber Davies Sloan. Her lived experience as a Korean transracial adoptee, along with her academic research, brings such an exciting perspective to this season. So find a comfy seat, settle in, and enjoy listening to these adoptees' voyages. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode. It's me, Erica. I am so glad you are here with me this Wednesday, listening in. For today's guest, I have Mireille Landry. She is a interracial twin who is from Canada. So she is domestically adopted. She was born and raised in Nova Scotia. And today she gets to share a little bit about her story and how she found her birth family. So, Mire, welcome. So glad you are here. Thank you. Yeah? I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, listeners, we've had the chance to just get to know each other a little bit offline. And I can tell you, I'm just really excited for her to share her story. It's really unique. But before we jump into the reunion aspect of her journey, I would love if you could just share a little bit more about your adoption. Okay. So I was actually um, adopted at three months old, along with my identical twin sister. Uh, we're biracial adoptees. So we are half African, Zambian uh, specifically, and half Canadian. We were born and raised in Nova Scotia, Canada. And we actually spent three months in foster care. So we were... We spent some time in the hospital actually with our birth mother, which we found out um, later once we requested a copy of our adoption file. But we spent about a week to 10 days in the hospital with our birth mother. Then we were placed into a foster home for three months and then adopted together. And we were raised by two uh, white adoptive parents in a predominantly white area in Nova Scotia, Canada. Awesome. Thank you for giving us a little bit more context about your story and kind of the community that you were raised in. So I love that you were adopted with your twin sister. And from what we've talked about, it sounds like you did lots of activities growing up together. You were really close. And so I think it's time. I think we just kind of just dive into it. I would love if you could explain kind of some of the events that unfolded before and during, and then we'll touch base on after you met your birth family. So um, it was a closed adoption, actually. So we didn't know a lot of information. We had this book that um, came along with us from our foster family. So we knew that we were adopted at three months old. We knew the time of our birth. I knew that I was the oldest. We knew that there were some complications with my birth and I was in the NICU for a little bit. And that was why we had spent some time in hospital with our birth mother. And we figured that may have been why 
we were placed in foster care before being adopted because I had had some health issues uh, during birth. Um, we knew that our birth mother was 15 years old and that our birth father was Zambian and that they were both young and that she wasn't able to take care of us because she didn't have any help from her family so that they decided that the best option was to give us up for adoption so that we could have a better life. We know and our parents have explained to us that we're adopted. I don't remember the conversation, but I always remember knowing that we were adopted. And we knew that at the age of 18, we would be able to request a copy of our adoption file. And then one day we played, we, like you said, we did a lot of activities together. We were best friends, my, I, my twin sister and I. And one of the things we did was we played soccer. And one day we went to a soccer game or a soccer tournament. I forget which it was, but it was in a community about an hour and a half drive away. It was called Sydney, mm -hmm. uh, within the same province in uh, Canada. And we went to our soccer game. And after our soccer game, we went to the mall. And we're just walking around the mall. It was me, my sister, and a friend of ours who was on our soccer team, and my mom. And my mom was kind of doing her, my adoptive mom, but we just call her mom, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so we were just doing our regular kind of browsing in the mall. My mom was doing her shopping separately. So it was just my sister and me and my friend at this point. And we decided to go into the photo booths that there were in the malls back then. I don't know if they're yep. still there. <laughs> So we went into the photo booth and we wanted to take photos and we realized that there were photos that the people before us had left there. So we looked and it was these two blonde ladies in these photos. So we were like, oh, why don't we go around and try and find them? And if we find them, then we'll just give them the photos that they forgot. So we start walking around the mall and we see the two blonde ladies in the photos. And one thing that I remember noticing is that I had a black shirt that said Virgo on it that I had recently bought. And the woman in the photo had the same shirt, except hers said Taurus. And I was like, oh, that's funny. She has the same shirt as me. And so I saw the woman and we walked up to them. We said, oh, hi. We were just in the photo booth. We realized that someone forgot the photos. It's here. Here they are. It's, yeah. it's you guys. So they take the photos and we don't really notice anything weird about that interaction. And we keep going on our way. And then um, we're walking, kind of looking for my mom. And maybe 10 minutes later of walking around the mall, I see my mom. And then I see that she's talking to those same blonde ladies that we just gave the photo booth photos to. And my sister and I both talked about it after, but we never said anything at the time. Yeah. But I remember feeling a uh, an overwhelming feeling and my heart starting to pound and mm. I feel like I knew something really big was about to happen and my sister afterwards we talked about it and we both felt that same thing and we don't know why mm. there's we didn't know what was about to happen but we got closer and my mom was talking to these ladies and as we got closer my mom looked at us and she said this is your birth mother wow. so the woman the two women that we had just given their photo booth photos to were actually my birth mother and her sister. Wow. And it was 
actually my birth mother and her sister that were together throughout her entire pregnancy. Her sister supported her throughout the entire process and was there at the hospital for the delivery and also was there during those uh, seven to 10 days after our birth, uh, feeding us and spending days in the hospital with us trying to figure out if there was any way that they could keep us and then eventually having to give us up. So they went through that whole journey and process and trauma together. They had also actually named us after themselves. Mm. So my birth mother named me, I was the firstborn. So she named me after herself and she named my twin sister after her sister who had been along that journey with her. And those were the two people that we were meeting that day. So we were meeting our namesakes, who were my birth mother and her sister. We've talked about this recently, actually, because I spent some time with my aunt during, I'm in, I'm home visiting family right now and visiting my adoptive family and also my sister. But uh, during that time, I've also made it a point to go visit my biological aunt. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about it that, For us, for my sister and I, we were perceiving that experience as the first time we were meeting our biological family, but for them, they were seeing us again. And they had been waiting for that day since they had to give us up in the hospital. We also had a conversation with her afterwards to be like, how did you know that it was us? And she said that um, she she thinks that she would have known regardless, oh. but um, with the agreement, I don't know if it was for a certain amount of years, but my adoptive mother had been sending photos of us. So uh, at first it was as babies, but she definitely had recent enough photos to be able to recognize that it was us, but we, my mom, wouldn't have known whether or not she would have uh, requested them or accepted mm. them. So and that's how she knew that we were her daughters her biological daughters but to this day if you ask her today she'll she'll tell you I would have known regardless I would have known my daughter yeah so she thinks and I I believe her too but they both feel that there's a connection that we have yeah well thank you for sharing that and for sharing your story it's amazing that it, it literally is almost like it's out of a movie where you just stumbled <laughs> upon your family not knowing they were your family. And I think mm-hmm. for a lot of adoptees, we have those big dreams growing up, especially for closed adoptions where we want to know. We are hoping our, our birth family is out there and we have this hope and this excitement about, oh, who could it be? What if it's this person? What if, you know, my birth family comes from this type of family, et cetera, et cetera. And so to actually experience that and just like stumble upon it, especially at the age of 12, when, you know, Mm -hmm. there's already so many other things in our worlds as teenagers that are changing internally and externally. But um, yeah, I mean, that probably just was like you said overwhelming but also Mm -hmm. this I mean a start of reunion for you so I really appreciate you just saying that and and telling us your story in that way so I think when we talked offline you even mentioned like you went out to dinner with her Mm -hmm. to just like 
make that first connection, that first relationship. Um, and, and can you tell listeners where it went from there? So did it end at the mall or did it continue over the years? So yeah, we actually did go to dinner right away. And I actually commend my mom, my adoptive mom, because again, this was something that we found out after, but the conversation that was happening as we were approaching was that my biological mother had actually ended up following us because she recognized us right away wow. when we when we approached her but knew that she wasn't supposed to talk to us directly so she kind of followed us until she saw my mom and mm. she had met my mom because she's the one who chose my adoptive parents right so she recognized her once she saw her she had seen her 12 years prior but she still recognized her so she went up to her and uh, was in the middle of asking her if it was okay if she met us Mm. And as she was asking her, we were approaching. So there wasn't really time for them to have a discussion. My mom made that split decision to let that happen and introduced us to her. And then we went to dinner right away. Um, I remember her asking if we had any questions. I remember drawing a blank and just, I just wasn't prepared for that that day. And at that age, yeah, you really don't think of any questions, but it didn't end there. There is a period of maybe a couple of years where I don't necessarily remember what happened and I don't necessarily, I I haven't had that conversation with my parents, but I do feel like in the background, the adults were kind of trying to figure out how to handle this because it wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed Mm. to be a closed adoption. But we knew that we had a brother. She had told us that she had had a son actually only three years after we were born. And we knew that our birth father was from Zambia. We didn't necessarily have any more information about him. And I'm not even really sure how we ended up getting more information. It may have been from my birth mother because she was actually in contact with his sister. Mm. So just to bring back the timeline my birth mother and my birth father met in 1991 when my birth father was attending university in the town where my birth mother was from so they met and then he after our adoption he actually moved back to Africa Um, I'm not sure if he went exactly to Zambia but he moved back to Africa and then his younger sister 10 years later, went to the same university that he attended in rural, small town, Nova Scotia. Kind of a coincidence, but not that much because it's such a small community. But she, my aunt, my biological paternal aunt, ended up meeting my biological mother 10 Mm. years later in the same town where her brother had attended university. And she ended up telling her unbeknownst to my birth father that she had had identical twins with Mm. her brother we ended up finding out that my birth father had not told anyone in his family that he had had children with someone while he was in his first year of university Uh, so now we had a connection with our paternal biological family so we were then put into contact with my biological aunt, my Zambian aunt, who was still living in Nova Scotia, Canada at the time. And she was the one who kind of told us, 
you know, my parents don't know anything about you. My brother, which is our birth father, never told anyone that you guys exist. So mm. this is going to be a journey. Yeah. And she actually changed everything because wow. she she was really like an advocate for us. Mm. And she was she was really one, the one who got the ball rolling for us being able to meet our paternal side um so she basically backed my birth father into a corner and said if he wasn't going to tell his parents that we existed she was going to because she didn't want them to go any longer without knowing that they had grandchildren so uh, my birth father ended up not telling his parents and so she did it on his behalf Mm. and immediately they welcomed us they accepted us right away and they were like we need to meet them and you need to get them here to Zambia to us like bring us our granddaughters which was again an overwhelming feeling but such a I feel like a lot of adoptees just feel like you just want to belong and that acceptance without question and like it was like an unconditional love. I feel like we all want to just feel that unconditional love and acceptance and accepting us just as we are. And it really felt like that. Mm. Um, And then, so that started that process. And in 2011, when we were 19, we actually ended up traveling to Zambia, Africa with our adoptive mother. So my identical twin sister and I and my adoptive mother and our aunt. So the aunt that kind of made it all happen. We traveled to Zambia together to meet my paternal biological grandparents. And it was amazing. It was my longest uh, trip ever. Mm. We we flew to England first and we had a layover there and were able to meet some family there, actually some biological family who were living in uh, England. So we met some family there. We met up with my biological aunt who was living there at the time. Mm. And then we traveled together to Zambia. And uh, when we arrived in Zambia, my grandfather came to pick us up, which was emotional overwhelming just him seeing meeting his granddaughters for the first time and even I remember before even getting through security the security was asking us questions and they were asking like business or pleasure like what's the nature of our trip and then we just kind of quickly explained to them that we were adopted and we were traveling to Zambia for the first time to meet our family and the security person like paused and she and she was just like welcome home and I remember when she said that the Mm. feeling in my heart like I had never been there before I'm born and raised in Canada but I felt like I was home when she said that and Mm. I had never it it was a feeling that I felt like I had never felt before yeah and that's it started the that's what started the trip off like it was such a great start to the trip and then we met our grandfather who came to pick us up um he drove us to uh their home where we were staying for the next two weeks and my grandmother was when we arrived in the home we walked in no one was there to greet us and it was because my grandmother was hiding in her bedroom because she was so overwhelmed and didn't know how to handle the situation. So we're kind of like sneaking in, walking down the hallway, like waiting to see, to meet our grandmother. 
And then she comes out of her room and collapses and just bursts into tears. And it was, I, I could cry right now because it was just like, you could see the pain of, she never got to see her granddaughters grow up. Yeah. And she, she just, she was hysterical. Yeah. Like I, it was actually very overwhelming and heavy to, to mm. witness because you get told this story that's uh, such a positive story, which it is. Yeah. It's a, for, I know that sometimes people get told that story and it might not be true, but I feel like for me it was, yeah. and it was a decision that was made out of love. And if my birth mother had a way to keep us, she would have. Yeah. And so I knew that and I knew that my parents, my adoptive parents just wanted to be parents and they weren't able to do that naturally and that it was a happy ending and we gained a family and they gained children. But when you start that reunification process, sometimes it comes with a lot of pain because you see the pain in my birth mother who lost her children and lives with that trauma every day of her life and probably never went a day without thinking about that decision and then I think about my grandparents who so my grandmother who I was meeting that day who never got to carry her granddaughters on her back and that was one of the things that she said when she was breaking down in tears she was going I never got to carry you on my back Mm. and that's such an important cultural Thing for her and yeah. pride for her as a grandmother and she felt like she was robbed of that and she was mm. she she it looked like she was grieving yeah the way that she was reacting yeah. and that was it was very overwhelming it was almost confusing and and I remember thinking about it in hindsight and being like oh my I feel like sometimes the fact that I exist is so painful to Hmm. certain people yeah and I wish that wasn't the case so sometimes I feel like it's just it can be very complex as you know and sometimes really confusing and that reunification journey can bring up those complex and confusing feelings but at the same time it was the most positive experience and sometimes I wish I would have been older when I experienced it so I could really understand how powerful it was and to really be in the moment at the time because I was 19 so we were it was still like a trip and I wasn't really paying attention and living in the moment in every moment like I wish that I would have but it was one of the most positive and amazing experiences of my life. And I feel like I learned a lot about myself. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that and kind of catching listeners up to what happened after that initial meeting at the mall, right? Because the story could have ended there and you could have parted ways and just been like, that was weird. Um, (laughs) I just love that you and your family were able to embrace it and that all parties were really open to the idea of reuniting and kind of walking that journey together even though it you're right it's it's messy and it's overwhelming and it's complex and there's a lot of grief not just for the adoptees but you know for other parties as well in the adoption triad so 
I really appreciate you just touching point on that and, and voicing it. In regards to family and the family unit, it's so much more complex on how that impacts others, um, which can indirectly or directly also impact how you, you know, you view your own journey and yourself and your identity. So I wanted to thank you for that. You mentioned a few things that I, I kind of want to circle back and touch point on. I mean, the first thing in describing the grief that like your birth grandma had and, you know, now that we're adults and we're, we're reflecting back on those experiences. I mean, it just sounds like you're right. There was a lot of grief going on, on, on various family members. Do you feel like that had an impact on your own identity journey um, and reflecting on your adoption or yourself as an adoptee? I definitely do. And I think a huge turning point, which was well after both of these events, mm -hmm. was when I requested my adoption file. So that was only a couple years or a few years ago in 2020. It took two years to get, which I was mind wow. blown. Yeah, it took, we requested it in 2018. We received it in 2020 and we each got separate um, adoption files because we're different individuals right. and and they, they're actually different. In mine, when I received it, there was a paragraph about how I had health issues yeah. at birth and spent some time in the NICU. And then it made sense about why we were in the hospital for longer than, than usual yeah. and that my birth mother had spent longer than usual with us. Usually that didn't happen. And then there was a paragraph about a social, an undated social worker report. And it was about when we were in foster care. Yeah. So it said that we were taken into care about a, a week or 10 days after birth. And then it said how we were easily upset when we weren't seeing one another. And when one would cry, the other would cry. But when we saw each other, we would smile and be fine. And I don't know why, but I burst into tears when I read that paragraph. And I just thought about how, and I, at this point, my sister had had children as well. So I saw how quickly they look for her and bond yeah. to her yeah. and how that happens well before birth. So I remember reading that paragraph and just being so sad because I felt like we were reacting to the separation from our birth mother mm. and that the only comfort that we were able to get was when we were looking at one another. Mm. And that's when I started to, I guess, realize that that maternal separation, even if you don't remember it, your body remembers it yeah. and that it can actually impact you in adulthood and that's when I started thinking about those previous experiences like meeting my birth mother and seeing that pain or meeting my yeah. biological grandmother and seeing that grief that's when I feel like I started to see it for what it really was and yeah. to kind of recognize the pain that different parts of the triad would face would feel yeah yeah, I mean, I know that our bodies are, one, incredible. I mean, the human body is just capable of a lot, but the connection between the mind and the body, and especially when it comes to mental health and trauma, um, 
I mean, I think more and more discoveries or researches come out annually saying exactly what you were stating, you know, there's a lot of built up trauma. Um, and especially in those very beginning few moments of our lives as infants, that connection is key. And so thank you for sharing that and just kind of reflecting on your story and that experience of getting your, your case file. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about your story and the reunion and kind of some of the impacts it's had on you and your own journey. And um, I wanted to see if there was anything else that it's kind of led you to in today's day and age, you know, we, we got up to 2020 and the case file. So I guess, where are you now? It sounds like you're still in reunion and in relationship with family, but is there any other way that you're interacting with the adoption community um, that you would like to share? Actually, one of my New Year's resolutions this year was that I wanted to build those relationships. Mm. So I've been trying to make an effort more to reach out to my biological families. And I feel so fortunate to have access to my biological family that I feel like I should make more use of it and actually Mm. get that information that they have and I have access to it. I just want to know it all. I want to be able to tell that to my children if I choose to have children. It's healing for me, but it's also healing for them. Not that it's our responsibility as adoptees to heal the other parties in the triad, but sometimes it can it can happen where we're healing each other. Yeah, no, that's great. Oh, but sorry, I didn't answer the question about what I was doing with the adoptee community no, today. So I do, uh, I did want to start an adoptee community in Toronto, which is where I live now, because I felt like the first time that I really felt understood was when I met a fellow adoptee, specifically a fellow interracial or transracial adoptee. And so I wanted to be able to do that for other adoptees. Uh, So I started a page called at Adoptees of Toronto. And I'm hoping to start some in-person meetups uh, this summer at the latest to build community and so that we can all get together and heal, laugh, cry, share our stories. Yeah, I love that. And Thank you for sharing. So I'll definitely put the link for that page or that social media group on your social media bio when I post it to the page. But I just love that you are taking your story and your journey and you're wanting to dive deeper into the adoption community and connect with other adoptees. I think that's a really cool thing to do. So thank you. Yeah. Well, Marie, thank you again for just being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and and just express your journey on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode on the Adoptee Voyages podcast. To continue supporting this resource for transracial adoptees, please consider making a financial donation at adopteevoyages.org. Stay connected by following Adoptee Voyages on Instagram and Facebook. And finally, join me next week for another Adoptee Voyages episode.